I want to welcome our, our internet audience. I'm so glad that you're, you're listening to us. We appreciate you being a part of this as well. Um, and, and so before we start the new, the new study, uh, I wanted to go back and, and reference some of the things that I talked about last week that I didn't get a chance to fully develop. And that is in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And if you have your outlines, that was in part 3. Uh, and one of the points that I wanted to uh, reiterate uh, was in point six of that outline when I, th- when I uh, talked about the fact that Paul spoke about the mysteries that God has revealed through Jesus Christ. The mysteries that God has revealed through Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so there were three subsets of those mysteries that I wanted to basically bring that to your attention. The first is that the church is the body of Christ. This is important to understand this. Not an individual church, not a denominational church, but the uh, church of God throughout the world. There is a church of God throughout the world that contains people from every denomination. That is the church of God, and that church is the body of Christ. That's what God has revealed as one of the mysteries through Christ, the church. That's a church that has, uh, now includes uh, Gentiles. It includes Jews. It includes people from all races and all denominations. It is a unified body under Christ. Uh, and we serve as the body of Christ, as the hands and feet of Christ. That's the role of the church, the role to go out and love uh, and bring reconciliation to a world that's lost uh, and to teach and to lift up and help uh, and help those who are in pain. That's the role of the church. You are all members of that body. Uh, and so God has given as part of the body of Christ, the church, and he has given gifts because the gifts of the spirit are replete throughout the church. Now, no one person has all the gifts, but through the, the uh, church universal, all of the gifts that God has given are in evidence. And so that's what we long to be. In the body, the church uh, is the body of Christ. Secondly, the second mystery that God has revealed is that there is an indwelling of Christ in the hope of each believer. That is a mystery that obviously God revealed through Jesus Christ that was not in the old covenant. That every believer now in Christ uh, has the indwelling of Jesus within him uh, in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit effectively is the Spirit of Christ. And so when you come to faith now uh, uh, in this church age, when you come to faith, through Jesus Christ, and God pours his grace into your heart, he seals your belief in Christ with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit within you. That's part of believing in God and accepting Christ. That is the seal of God in your life. Uh, And so this becomes important because this is the guide of your life. This is the discernment that you have, that Christ is within you, uh, and this is, part, this is why we say there's a differentiation between day one and day two. Day one, you're saved, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, but now God is preparing you for day two, which is the walking part, the growing part, the seeking part, the sanctification part. All of that is in day two, and the fact that Christ is within you 
uh, within you enables you to complete that. And so that becomes another important part of the mystery that God has revealed. Third, and this is what Paul made an important reference to, was that all wisdom and knowledge, spiritually, all wisdom and knowledge, spiritually, comes through Jesus Christ. There is no wisdom that you do not have that does not come to you through Jesus Christ. And so let's understand that, that these early churches were getting involved with Gnosticism, which indicated that, that there was some specialized knowledge and wisdom and discernment uh, that you didn't get merely by being a believer, that that was reserved only to a religious elite. There is no religious elite in this church, the uniform church of God. Once you accept Christ Jesus, uh, we all bow and serve under our Lord. He sits at the top, we then sit below him. And all of the wisdom and knowledge and discernment that you need about who he is comes through Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. All right. So there's no secret book, no secret philosophy, no secret wisdom, no person that has been given some greater insights. We all have the ability to understand who Jesus is uh, and, and what, what his, his role is for us. Now, uh, in, in that chapter, uh, and that's uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 10, I just want you to take a look for a moment as I go back, to take a look at verses 5 to 7. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are, and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue, and underline that, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So Paul there is making a point of saying that we must walk in Christ. This is why I, I've given you the metaphor of day two. Everything that he's speaking about there is day two language. Being rooted and walking and learning uh, uh, and being built up. The built up process is a day to walk. You're, you're going to be built up as you walk with Christ uh, and you submit yourself to him in sanctification. Uh, and so this becomes the day two metaphor so that you understand that it goes back. It's rooted in, in Paul's earliest letters. I mean, here's what's so fascinating to me, and it should be to you as well. He's writing this letter about 30 years after Jesus died on the cross. He's in prison as he writes the letters. And yet the very churches that came up are suffering from a malaise that does not come from understanding Christ. What does that mean? It means that there's danger for the Christian to get sucked into false theology. There's danger for churches to deviate from the will of God. No church is immune. No church is immune. And so we study this so that God can, can lift us up and prepare us. This is an important thing to understand. You have to stay rooted in Jesus Christ. You have to walk with Jesus Christ. All right? You don't go out there and, and, and do your own thing or take some other philosophy and think that philosophy is going to carry the day. Look, there's all kinds of philosophies in the world, but they're not written by God. What we're here reading here is this is the Word of God uh, speaking to us through the Holy Spirit uh, and understanding that. 
and, and he also maintains here that the righteous man is one who has received Jesus. Be established and keep growing with him. That's the righteousness that we seek, not the self-righteousness that we think comes from our works uh, or, or our, our, our giving or our charity. No, the righteousness we want comes from our acceptance and devotion to Christ Jesus. That's the righteousness that we want. And that's the righteousness that we want to walk in in every day of our lives as we continue to do that and to be established, to be established with him. And, and then in, in verse 10, uh, he exposes heresy. Um, and, and, and excuse me, in point 10 of my outline, he exposes heresy. And that's in verses uh, 19 to 22. And that's Colossians uh, chapter 1. And I just want to go back and read that again so that you get an idea of what was going on in the early church. We'll start with eight, verse 18, Colossians 1, 18. And he is the head of the body. The church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Let's understand what he's saying here. Jesus is the firstborn of the new birth. He's the first one. He's the one who defeated death, and we now become brothers with him as we've accepted him. Brothers and sisters in accepting him. But he is the head. There is no other head. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself uh, all, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Uh, this becomes important to understand the reconciliation of Christ. Christ reconciles everything. Christ reconciles us to God. Without the reconciliation of Christ, we could never be reconciled to God. And reconciled means more than merely justified. It means more than substitutionary sacrifice. Let's understand this. Reconciliation is an even higher form of relationship. What it means is that now we have become the friends with God. God is your friend. He loves you. Jesus is your brother. Can you believe I can say that? Jesus is your brother. He's the firstborn because he's reconciled you to God. This is the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to speak about that uh, a little bit more and understand this. And so Gnosticism taught that God did not deal directly with the people, but through angels. Well, come on, really? Where are you getting this from? Where are you getting this from? Do you see how this false heresy uh, infuses himself, itself uh, right there, even into the early church? Uh, and so, gosh, it's, this becomes so important. And so I really want to emphasize to you that, that Jesus did all the work of reconciliation himself on the cross. Uh, and this becomes important for you to understand. And this becomes your role in the world. Uh, and I want you to understand this. This is called the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. And I want to devote some time to this. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm sure many of you have not heard this before, but it's an important point to understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is Paul again speaking uh, about Christ. Uh, let's start with verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means God expects you to go out in the world and preach the ministry of reconciliation. You understand how important this is? You have become effectively the ambassadors of God to tell the world that they need to be reconciled. I mean, really, you don't hear this. You don't hear this being spoken about, but this is important to understand this. This is a ministry that God has given to all of you, every single one of you here in this world. Uh, and, and continuing on in verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's it. He's given it to us. This is a message that the world needs to know. As you go out and speak to people, uh, you don't just say to them, uh, you need to be saved. You need to say to them, Are you, have you been reconciled with God? Whoa. Nobody ever, ever told me that, that I needed reconciliation with God. But yeah, you do. You need to be reconciled with God because unless you're reconciled to God through Christ, you are an enemy of God. You are an enemy of God, and you need to understand that. We are therefore, verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Can you imagine that God would do that? You are Christ's ambassadors, God's ambassadors to this lost world to deliver this message, a message of reconciliation. Uh, and it's a message that we can only deliver because we have the Holy Spirit within us to a world that is desperate, desperate to hear it. Uh, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's the message. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's reconciliation. And so God looks at us now as his friends. God looks at us now as the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. It, uh, because of the reconciliation that Jesus did on the cross. And so this becomes so important uh, that we teach this, in addition to understanding the forgiveness of sin, the importance of reconciliation. Uh, because here's an important point to understand, that unless you reconcile to God, unless you are effectively a friend of God, your prayers are not going to be answered by God. All right? There's no evidence that I can find where God is answering the prayers of people that are outside of, of uh, believers. I don't see any evidence in that. He may, in his wisdom and sovereign will, in order to bring somebody to faith, he may, once in a while, answer a prayer designed to bring people to faith. But on a general basis, the, the, the fact is that God answers the prayers of believers and that those who are not believers are not getting their prayers answered. Sad, but true. Important to understand that, which is why you need to deliver the message of reconciliation to the world. Uh, and so you see it here uh, in this verse. Uh, the message we are to share to the lost world is this. Be reconciled to God. We implore you uh, to believe in Jesus. This is, his, this is a big responsibility that we have. Every single one of you has a role in extending this ministry. It's called a ministry. 
And so if many of you have said, uh, I don't have a ministry, God has not given you a ministry, that's false. Every single one of you has a ministry. It's the ministry of reconciliation. And here's the thing. When you advance the ministry of reconciliation, you become a peacemaker. You become a peacemaker. Because you step in the void in this world where Satan and, and the demons sit. Uh, where, where evil sits, and instead you become the peacemaker, not because of you, but because you carry the name of Jesus Christ. And so it's important for you to know this. Uh, and so lives will be changed. God will change it as we become the ambassadors of God, as we step up and step out for God, doing what he's called us to do, the ministry of reconciliation. I implore you, all of you now, uh, to understand that and to be a part of that. And now I want to start the, the outline that I had prepared for you today, which is Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 23. And if you can open your Bibles and read along with me as we do this. You know, it's amazing. This is a short epistle, uh, Colossians. It's only a few chapters. Uh, I think it's five chapters, but the amount of, of meat that's in this is, is ex extraordinary. Uh, and I'm sure many of you have not studied this before. As I studied it in preparing for this, uh, I'm amazed at how God revealed his will uh, and his mysteries to Paul. Extraordinary. So Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. We'll start with verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. Let's understand that. He's saying that, um, he's emphasizing the fact that Christ had a bodily form, that when he was on the cro cross, he had a human body. And within the human body resided all of the authority of God himself. So there he is on the cross in a human body, both fully man and fully God, clothed with the flesh and blood of humanity so that he could be your brother uh, in Christ, the firstborn, understanding this role uh, and be the perfect substitutionary sacrifice. Continuing on. And you have been, verse 10, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. And let's talk about that. Every power and authority bows to Christ. The demons bow to Christ. The angels bow to Christ. And this becomes important because all of us are going to be subject to some satanic attack. We all understand this. As you draw closer to the cross, as you take up the cross, as you advance the kingdom of God, there's out there to try to knock you down. What do you think? You think they leave you alone? You think they're just interested in the poor drunk that sits on the curb? No, they're not worried about that guy. They're worried about you. You're reading your Bible. You're going to Bible study. You're going to church. You're giving your money to the kingdom of God. You're advancing the kingdom of God in a hundred different ways. You're a problem. You're a problem. And so you understand that the demon world is out to, to hurt you uh, in so many ways, but they have no authority over us. You understand that? They have no authority over us. We give them authority because in our weakness, we allow these temptations to affect us. All right? We allow these temptations to affect us. I want to tell you right now that Satan has no authority over you. All right? He has no authority. 
All right, I want you to understand this right now. You leave here, I want you to remember this. You are sold out to Christ. You have the seal of Christ on you. All right, Satan has no authority over you. Now, that doesn't mean that he, he might want to try to attack you or hurt you or discourage you or have lies perpetuated about you. All these things he does. But we allow him to do it. Well, I want you to say you're not going to allow him to do it. That you're going to stay strong and you're, going to, you're not going to allow that because Christ is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of man, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Now, why would he bring up circumcision? He would bring up circumcision because in that early church, now basically infused mostly with Gentiles, in that early church, uh, they had been taught, there were people that were teaching them that in order to be uh, a Christian, you had to be circumcised as if you were a Jew. If you weren't circumcised, you weren't fully part of the church. And Paul is saying right now, this is nonsense. There's no need to be circumcised. Circumcision doesn't do anything. In fact, what he says, you've been circumcised in the spirit by Christ. That's what we've done. This is a spiritual act of, of circumcision, not an act done in the body. It's an act done in the spirit. When you've accepted Jesus Christ, that is the circumcision. And that becomes important because this becomes another issue of legalism. And I'm going to spend a long period of time uh, talking to you about legalism, which I believe is one of the main faults today of the church, um, legalism. And we need to understand this. It appears and raises its head in so many ways, rules and regulations, in so many ways in which man-made rules seek to surpass the will of God. I laugh, really. I laugh when I hear people say, well, we want to go out uh, and we want to attract the unchurched. Uh, and so how do we attract the unchurched? Well, here's how we attract the unchurched. The minister puts on a pair of, of blue jeans, uh, he wears an old plaid shirt, and we get a couple of guys to come out with guitars, okay? And so we invite the unchurched to come in. Come on in. We want you. Jesus loves you. And then it comes time for the, for the unchurched. He says, you know what? We want to volunteer. We want to volunteer uh, here and work for God. Uh, and then they said, well, well, wait, wait, wait now. Wait. You want to volunteer for God? Well, we have a list of regulations. We have a list of regulations. And the first one that comes up most often is this. If you want to volunteer for God in many churches, you can't drink alcohol. Well, what percentage of the people that are unchurched are not drinking alcohol? I don't know. Is it me? Is it me that can't put my, my arms around this? As if not drinking alcohol is going to keep you away from the cross of Christ. Really? Drag me out to the parking lot right now. <laughs> Drag me out to the parking lot. Well, that's what I love about being able to be here. You know that? I'm, I'm responsible to nobody but him. I'm responsible to nobody but him. And so that's how we do it. There's one of the regulations. Oh, yeah, no, 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 yeah. We want you. We want you to be part of this thing. Look, I'm in blue jeans. Can't you see I love you? I'm in blue jeans. 
I got guitars. We love you. Yes, brother, I love you back. I want to serve in the church. Yeah, but you're a drinker. You drink alcohol. And Jesus made it clear if you're drinking alcohol, you're outside of the will of God. You're outside of the will of God. Well, where is that? Where is that verse? I've never seen that verse. Well, it's not in any one verse. You just kind of, uh, he talked about drunkenness. Yes, he talked about drunkenness. That's right. Drunkenness is a sin, just like gluttony is a sin. You understand? But merely imbibing in alcohol itself is not a sin. Let me, and let me make that perfectly clear. And if you want to hear a much better sermon on this than I'm giving you right now, take, go to my website and listen to my son's sermon yesterday. It's up uh, on legalism. Uh, and here he is speaking to precisely the kind of people that need to hear this, the unchurched, uh, and speaking about what the role uh, of, of legalism is keeping people out of the church. You know, and here's what we do in order to defend some of these absurd positions, okay? Because then we, get, then we act stupid. In other words, in order to raise these issues of legalism, then we start doing dumb things like, well, here's the best one. Well, the wine that Jesus made at the marriage of Canaan, that really wasn't wine. That was grape juice. <laughs> really? Really, which is why the master of the feast said to, to the host, this is unbelievable as he tasted it. You have saved the best wine for the end, and normally nobody would do that because everybody else is bombed and you serve the garbage at the end. <laughs> oh, yeah. You understand? Can't we just read the words? Do, have we lost our common sense? And all of this is what's done in order to develop legalism rules and regulations that does nothing to advance the cause of Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> it's hard to believe I can do this at 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, this to me, if I had to, if I had to say one of, what's one of the greatest problems in the church universal today, it's it's legalism. And I grew up with it. You understand? That's why God called me to do this. I grew up with it. I couldn't go to the movies. I couldn't go to dances. All right? I couldn't play cards. I couldn't, I couldn't do all the things that any normal kid would have wanted to do. And by the way, do you think that would allow me to bring people to church? Oh, yeah, you're going to bring people to church. Yeah, that's right. Your church is going to be crowded. Your church is going to be crowded. Uh, it's interesting because one thing that we, our church didn't have a prohibition on was alcohol, all right? It didn't have a prohibition on alcohol. In fact, when we did Lord's Supper, we actually used wine, real wine, real wine, all right? Because they considered themselves an apostolic church. But I understand what the nature of legalism is, the danger of what it is. It presupposes lifting man's rules up over God's. You think you're going to bring people to God? When you do this, who's going to come in from the, the curb? Who's going to come into the curb when you tell them that, well, no, you can't serve. You can't serve. You're out. You're out. All right? And so continuing on with this, with this passage, uh, talking about circumcision, verse 12, having been buried with him and baptized and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. He is not equating baptism with circumcision. He's not, he's not doing that. 
All right, and so continuing on. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. Notice how he read, he's so elegant. Uncircumcision of your sinful nature. That's what, was not, what needed to be circumcised. Your sinful nature. Not that piece of flesh on your body, but your sinful nature. He says, continuing on, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Amen. 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 He took the regulations, all those regulations that the Mosaic Code had developed, which I believe as I studied this at one time, it was three or 400 regulations. We're not talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about all those pseudo-regulations that the rabbis built up uh, over thousands of years. And he nailed it to the cross, meaning it's over. It's over. All right? Those regulations have no control of your life. Christ has control of your life. You're under the spirit of God through the Holy Spirit. You're not under the spirit of man with man-made regulations. There's no man-made regulations that covers your life. Only Christ. And you need to understand this. And you need to be able to convey this to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. How do you like that? He made a public spectacle of them. There he is on the cross, and you can just imagine the demon world hurling every possible thing at Christ, just hurling it at him, persecution and suffering as the heathen behind on the bottom of the cross, vilifying him in every way, not realizing that Christ had authority over all of them, and he was defeating them at the cross. Oh my God, all power and all authority there at one time on the cross. Uh, and continuing on in verse 16, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Underline it. Oh my, Paul sounds like John Garippa. I can't believe this. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Can this be any clearer? Can this be any clearer? No man can judge you by that. That is not the will of God, what you eat or drink. That has nothing to do with it. And so understanding that, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration on a Sabbath day and all that. That was all part of the Jewish rules and regulations, what you could do and what you couldn't do. You know that they crucified Jesus because he had the nerve to heal people on the Sabbath. Shame on you, Jesus. Violating the commandment, the Sabbath, by actually healing people. You got to die for that. You got to die for that. All right. Uh, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. 
Do you understand what that means? It means that the rules and regulations were merely pointing man to what was to come, how we could never fulfill the, the holiness of God by rules and regulations. And instead, what do we do? We lift the rules and regulations up as if that's true righteousness. Nonsense. It has nothing to do with righteousness. The righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. It comes from Jesus Christ alone, not the rules and regulations. And says, verse 18, I love this. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. There it is. Be wary of people that do these things. Be wary of people that puff themselves up and lift up these lists of rules and regulations and then get into the point of false heresy where they talked about worshiping angels. None of it is within the will of God. It's outside the will of God outside the will of God, and be aware of this. Be aware of this. Listen, folks, I'm preaching this to you that each and every one of you go back to your own churches, your own people, your own families, and you spread this gospel. You want your kids to be at the cross of Christ, you better be able to talk to them like this. You better be able to tell them what Jesus is about, what this ministry of reconciliation is. Because some of our kids are so turned off by the legalism of the church that they'll never darken a church. You wonder why your kids don't go to church? That's why. Because they look at the church and frankly, they see a lot of hypocrisy. All right? And when your kid says, I don't want to join church because it's filled with hypocrites, what you got to say is, that's okay, there's room for one more. There's room for one more. Room for one more, all right? But always lift up the true Christ, lift up the message of who he is. Jesus is not rules and regulations. Jesus does not care whether you go to movies or not. He doesn't care whether you read books or not. He doesn't care whether you have a sip of wine or a drink of beer. Jesus doesn't care about it, all right? He made the greatest wine in the history of the world at the marriage of Cana, the greatest in the history of the world. You got that? He doesn't care about that. He cares about love and affirmation and lifting people up and drawing people from the curb in. All right? That's what he cares about. And then you see some of these places where they even dictate who you can marry and who you cannot. Really? Really? That's the will of God? That's where we are? That's the freedom of being a Christian? That's where we are? And I'm sorry to say that's unfortunately the way a lot of these places operate. And so you need to be able to be an advocate for God, an ambassador for Christ. Uh, and so continuing on, such a person goes in a great deal about what he has seen and his spiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God grows. Look, there is only one head of the church, Jesus Christ. He is the head. We are all the body of Christ connected to the head. He leads us. He seeks to lift us up. He teaches us. And we look to him in every way as we walk in day two, 
reconciling ourselves with him and with God, who has now become our friend. Oh, what an incredible passage this is. As you understand the role that God has given us, the power that God has given us. Um, and, and so continuing on, it says here in verse 20, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Oh man, Paul, you get it. I mean, I want you to understand how great this is. This is a first century apostle. This is a guy who was a Pharisee who was imbued with the study of all the rules and regulations. And you knew that when the Jews went out, the Jews went out into the marketplace. When they came back, they had to ceremonially wash, ceremonially wash because they had been in the presence of Gentiles. That's right, you guys. Because you're unclean. You understand? You're unclean. They had to sit there and wash them. And, and you know, you have that famous verse where the Pharisee is sitting in the temple looking out at the tax collector and says, oh, God, oh, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like that man. I am not like that tax collector. You understand the spirit of hypocrisy that comes in with the religious elites? All of this is part of legalism. Anything that allows another human being to, dis to decide your spiritual authority and standing before God is outside the will of God. You understand what I just said? Any standard or rule that allows some other person to judge your worthiness because of that rule is outside of the will of God. God has given you the Holy Spirit. He has sealed you, all right? He speaks to your heart. He died for you. How dare some rules and regulations be put in the place of that death? That's what it is. We've, we've elevated rules and regulations in the, in the, in the, instead of the death of Christ. Verse 22, these are all destined to per perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Whoa. Wow, is that a pregnant sentence? All right? As you, as you see him speaking, I mean, I want you to think about the fact, here's a guy who meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Here's a guy who repudiates his entire life before. Here's a guy who has become the chief apostle in the church. Here's a guy who will write two-thirds of the New Testament. Here's a guy who most secular historians will say is one of the five most important people in the history of Western civilization. And here's a guy who has such great discernment because Jesus met him on the road, who poured the theology of Christ into him, that he can say the kind of things that when I say it today... When I talk about it today, you sit there and go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Well, think about what it was like when he said it 2,000 years ago in the face of the Jewish church, in the face of a culture that lifted all that up. And so you see that even that's the danger of this. That's the danger that even though we were saved by God, even though we recognize that, the, that Jesus is the body of the church, he is the church, that we still find a way of sliding back. 
we still find a way of sliding back. Uh, and, and so, yeah, we say we want to we bring the unchurched in. Here's the thing. We want to bring the unchurched in, but we want them to be us. We want them to be us. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta dress like, you gotta dress in a certain way. You just can't come walking into church with sandals. That's a sin. You just can't go walking into church with long hair. That's a sin. All right, that's a sin. You got tattoos? I don't even wanna begin with that. <laughs> I don't even wanna begin with that. I don't wanna begin with that. I would like nothing better than to find some tattooed guy out on the street with long hair. I'd love to bring him in and put him right next to me in church if that's where he wanted to be. I would love nothing better than that to prove that I'm not sold out to legalism, that I'm there to serve God and to love the world as I find it. Look, here's the problem with us. We want to love the world, but we want to love them at a long distance. You understand what I'm saying? We want to love them at a long distance. I want to be able to have a microphone I want to see them out there on the street and the sidewalk. And I want to say, oh, Jesus loves you. I don't want to come out and talk to you too close because uh, uh, you make me feel uncomfortable. But I'm feeling good at a distance of 100, 200 feet. You think that's how God wants the gospel spreading? He wants us out there, out there with them in every way, understanding them, telling them that they're loved. Yeah, I know. A lot of you are going to report me back to the powers that be. I understand. <laughs> It's all right. That's okay. I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable just exactly where we are. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Isn't that the key? Sensual indulgence. Don't we want to tell people how to restrain their lusts how to seek Jesus in every way, how to comport themselves to Christ. Isn't that what we want? Uh, and so, I mean, this, this chapter, this epistle is so powerful as he speaks to us about things that we need to understand. And so I, I, I really want you to understand this. I want you to turn, if you would, as I talk about the dangers of legalism, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. This is why I said that when we get to heaven and we'll all be there together, because you already have the ticket, that one of the first guest speakers we're going to bring in is, is Brother Paul. Because how great will it be to be able to talk and see the guy who was one of the chief Pharisees, the persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ, and have him come in and talk to us about legalism about what, what the child, how the church has gone wrong. And I want you to turn Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. You foolish Galatians. And I want you to understand something. This was a group of people that had been saved. They had a church, but the church had gone wrong. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard. Isn't that amazing? Did you receive the Holy Spirit because you believed in the law? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit because you believed in the death of Christ resurrected? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his Spirit 
and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard. There it is. Does God lift you up? Does God heal you? Does God speak to your heart because you're an observer of the law or because you believed in Jesus Christ crucified? You understand? It's not the law that has given you the Holy Spirit. It's not the law that has saved you. Consider Abraham, verse 6. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Uh, and, and that's a citation of Deuteronomy, meaning what? If you don't live up to the law, you're cursed by the law. And no one lived up to the law, and so all are cursed under the law. It's as simple as that. That's why you need the ministry of reconciliation. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because, quote, the righteous will live by faith. It's a citation there to Scripture. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who was hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we may receive the promise of the law. And so you see this. The, the early uh, promoters of legalism in the church wanted to distract from the gospel of Christ. Uh, and turn to Galatians chapter 1 while you're there. Uh, look at verse 6. And this again is to the church in Galatia. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. How about that? Perverting the gospel of Christ. And that's what legalism does. It perverts the gospel of Christ. You are saved not because you observe rules or regulations. You're saved by the grace of God through Christ Jesus who has poured his spirit into your life. Amen? Let's understand that. All right? All right, that everything, salvation comes by grace through faith. Anything else devalues the cross. Devalues the cross. Look at Galatians chapter 2 again, verse 21. Start with verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. There it is. Jesus did not have to go to the cross if the law was good enough. If, if the law was the uh, messenger by which you would be saved, God would never send his son, bankrupt heaven, 
in order for us to be saved. But God understood the law had failed. Nobody lived up to the law. And the only way we would ever come into the presence of God, have full reconciliation with God, where Jesus would be our brother, where God would look at us as his children, where he would call us his friends, was totally done by Christ on the cross. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us today. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the warning to us about legalism. Lord, help us, Father, help us not to be drawn into this web of rules and regulations as if rules and regulations could tell people how to be saved, but to lead people through the ministry of reconciliation to Jesus Christ once and for all, to cut the, the handcuffs of sin and to lead them into the most full life. Father, be with our men, bless them and protect them. Be with them this week and bring them back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.